Good morning. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? I am pretty good. What have you been up to? I was trying to subsist in this world, this new normal. <laughs> Whatever the hell you know what is. I was just talking to my friend this morning, and I'm a writer. I'm a USA Today bestselling author, and uh, I, uh, I, 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 I write a lot of fiction. That's how I make most of my living. Mm -hmm. The books behind me are all like books that I've either edited or, or, or created, and that's only a very small fraction of them. Um, and I was telling her that like this pandemic has like boosted my anxiety to like un previously unknown levels. And like, I, I was already high anxiety. Like I was one of the people I walked into my, I've, every time I walk into the doctor, I have to take one of those like depression surveys. They're like, you realize you're severely depressed. And I was like, yeah, like I'm not crazy. Like I know like my own body, like I know, like, please help me. Like I know, like <laughs> I go into my psych, <laughs> yeah, I went to my psychologist, uh, psychologist a couple of times and she's like, you were one of the most anxiety ridden people I've ever met. I'm like, I know that's why I'm here. Uh, <laughs> but what, but writing has always been this thing that like has flushed out my crazy. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the writing has been very productive while I while COVID's going on, because every time I do something that's not writing, like I get high anxiety. And then when I write, it like flushes it out. So mm -hmm. like literally uh, one or two days of not writing and I'm like freaking out so much that like I, I have no other option but to go back and write a new book. So it's, it's, it's one of those things that once I figured out like how to take that, like, like high anxiety is a curse in most ways, but like in some ways it like, it like is, 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 is like being on high alert all of the time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and if you can figure out how to like take that and use it, uh, I've just been a lot happier since I've sort of come to that realization. Yeah. I think you gotta be able to try and, um, channel that stuff. And I think most people don't have a, a uh, don't have a path to channel it because it's just corporate world, right? More often than not. And then where the, where the hell do you channel that stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I've been in, in uh, I've been a uh, entrepreneur since I was very young. Even when I was in corporate, I always had like a side thing going on. Uh, so I've always been able to like channel that stuff. And for the last five years, I've been doing it like full time. The the, the entrepreneur, running my publishing company and writing and my uh, creative academy and all the other stuff that I've been doing full time and. It, it, when you're doing that, you know, you're not on the clock, but you're always on the clock. So I've tried to figure out how best to utilize my, my, my very limited amount of spoons to <laughs> be the most effective in the least amount of time. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've recently come to the realization that like, just never going to be like a millionaire. I'm never going to do those things that like, you can sit on a beach and do like, I like writing books and like publishing books. And like, that's the thing that like drives my bliss. And that mm -hmm. kind of means I'm never going to like be able to get past a certain income level without like doing things I don't want to do. So um, I had a real, when this pandemic started and like I, I do usually reassess at the end of the year, but at the beginning of I was doing it sort of in the beginning of the year this year, I just like, there was a lot of stuff, you know, doing one-on-one -on -one coaching and, and, uh, and, and, and running membership communities and all of these things that are very like highly profitable pieces of business, mm -hmm. the kinds of stuff that like, if you want to hit seven figures, like what you really need to do is like, you know, offer a $10,000 package of like 
ad services or some kind of service and like then run a bunch of ads to it. And who cares if it costs a thousand dollars to make $10,000 because like you've made $10,000 off that yeah. one ad. And, um, I just don't work that way. Like my books cost at most $40 with shipping. So, uh, I, I don't have that luxury to do it. Even if I bundle all of my books together, it's, you know, mo no more than a couple hundred dollars that I could possibly make on like one sale. So, I really had to sit down and be like, okay, like, what do I really want? Do I want the destination to be, uh, to be like the fun part? Or do I want the journey to be the fun part? Uh, I don't know, a dozen times in my life, I've kind of become the person that like I admire. <laughs> uh, I, I, it's really weird. So like, for instance, with Kickstarter, uh, Kickstarter is this crowdfunding platform that's mm -hmm. popular in America. You know, you put books on there, or put products on there, and then like people basically pre-order them. And I always, I work in comics. So Kickstarter has always been this huge thing in comics since like it started in 2012, really. And I'd always admire people that raised like $25,000. It was like this threshold. I was like, these people are like gods. And then like I raised $25,000 and like now I raise $25,000 or pass $10,000 like every time pretty much that I do a Kickstarter or at least get close to $10,000. And, uh, and so like, but I remember becoming that person that I really admired. And I was like, well, this is really weird. And then I realized that I it was worse because I like realized that nothing changed inside of me. Like I was still broken. I was still like, <laughs> I was still like, I was gonna ask, what, was it, what was it like at that moment when you kind of like, uh, oh, <laughs> it's still, I haven't turned, I haven't got a cape. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting. So like the first time that I did it, I remember the day it was, it was, uh, Valentine's day, 2017. And I'd launched this project called monsters and other scary shit. Sorry if I can't curse on here. There's can, two books I can, have that have shit in the title. You, like. you can say and that's, uh, like. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I woke up the next morning and I had raised basically more than I had ever raised in a day by like 10 times. And I, I, I was like, oh my God, my life has changed. Like it's going to change. Like all these doors are going to open up for me. Mm -hmm. And I remember being very excited, but also very scared at that moment. And then when we ended and I had passed like $27,000 on this book a couple like a month and a half later, I was like, my life did change. Like suddenly people were coming out of the woodwork and opportunities were coming and all of this stuff. Uh, but, it, and it took about uh, two weeks for me to settle into what this new normal was. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, well, how do I get to the next level? How do I get to the next level? Like, this feels great. Like, how am I going to do it again? How am I going to do it again? How am I going to do it again? And then I did it again later that year. Uh, and I was like, Oh, cool. Like I'm not just a one, a flash in the pan. Like mm -hmm. I'm not just a one trick pony. Like I could really like make a, a go at this. And, uh, it's, it's interesting. Cause that the, the, the day that second campaign that I hit $25,000 launched was the day of my dad's funeral. Oh, wow. Uh, and so I, it was kind of numbing for a few months after that. Cause like I, it was just like, my dad had just died and I was like yeah. in grief and I was like going through all sorts of physical and mental stuff. And, and so I didn't have the time to process that really. But eventually, you know, I came kind of out of that in the middle of the, like the beginning, the middle of 2018. And how I processed the grief was I wrote 20 books in 20 months. And so like, I literally just pushed myself into the, into like being as productive as possible, which is not like healthy, I know. And I still haven't processed that stuff, but yeah, I remember like 
I, I, I launched another project and this one raised like $40,000. And I was like, when is it going to feel good? Like, when is it going to feel good? Like, when, when, when am I going to feel like it's enough? And then the next year, I had, a, I, I had launched off Kickstarter a couple of books. And instead of raising $40,000, I did like eight launches in three months. And I raised like $2,000. And that's when it really like hit me because I had tacked my self-worth onto my success and it felt real good on the way up. Like it was like, yeah, look, look, uh, we as entrepreneurs always are kind of like the, the redheaded stepchild of like the, which like, uh, 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 so, you know, we're, 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 we're in corporate America and we're like, I don't like how this is working. I think that I should do it this way. And everyone's like, no, you shouldn't do it that way. That's stupid. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, I'm going to do it anyway. So like, you're literally starting from this outsider position, no matter what your company is. Right. Yep. And, uh, and then like, so like, it, it makes sense that you're like, well, look, 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 look at all you people. Like it's working, it's working, it's working. Um, but what happens is like, I kept plateauing and I was like, okay. Like you just naturally plateau. Like you can't be going up every day or every month. You know, what tends to happen is like you like you have a big success and then like you ride that and then you have another big success. And so it becomes like a Mesa or like or like a like a like a, a Olmex temple kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I kept getting I kept like moving up, but it never felt good. But what felt really horrible was when I was on the downward slope. So instead of raising thirty thousand dollars, I was raising like two hundred dollars or three hundred dollars. And like, do you know what the difference was? Do you know what? Did you, have you been able to work out what? So what, a couple of what, things what changed um, when you went up, and then what? What? What was done? What did you do differently, or what was different? Yes, um, it was the mechanic of launching on Amazon instead of Kickstarter. I think it was just the different men. Like my audience had been primed to like when I do a Kickstarter, go buy. Mm -hmm. But with Amazon, it's this thing where like the book will always be there, so you can always buy it. So there's no like, I I work best when I'm launching things and can build hype for like months and then like pull it back and like smack it and release this big thing at one time. Yeah, and Amazon is more like, hey, this is available now, and it's like very cheap which is the other thing. And it was just like popping and it was not doing anything. Mm -hmm. I then took all of those books and repackaged them and rebranded them and put them on Kickstarter this January and they raised 10 grand. Hmm. So like it was literally not the books. It was really the mechanic and just like how I'm comfortable launching. Um, so, but yeah, when I, when I went down, like I was like suicidal by about, by like in last June, like I literally one day my wife came home and I was like, I'm glad there was not, a, we don't own a gun because I definitely would have shot myself today. Uh, and so I really had to like have a come to Jesus moment with myself and, and be like, okay, like this is not working. Mm -hmm. You know, like we've had a bunch of success. We've, we've been doing things. Uh, like, like, like the right way. We literally are training people. Like people are buying our courses and like I've done over six figures in revenue like the past few years. And, you know, uh, by all accounts, I should be like, I'm the kind of person that like I should be happy to be. Mm -hmm. And instead I'm more miserable now, I feel like than when I wasn't successful. And uh, so I had to really sit back and be like, okay, so like you want to be Neil Gaiman or like this big, like international successful author. And that means that like, you have to get a publishing deal. Like just can't do that without a publishing deal. Mm -hmm. Like there's no way to, as, a, as an indie to get the scale that you need to be like Neil Gaiman or, or, or uh, 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 
Rick Reardon or whoever the author is. And I, and so I, I, I really like pursued that for a little while. And I was like, I hate myself during the, like, I hate this part of the journey. Like I hate the journey of being, having to wait for permission. Mm-hmm. And so I really started grappling then with this, like, okay, so like the thing that you want and the thing you're willing to do were incongruent. So you have to be like, if you like the journey, then you have to be okay with like, this is the journey. Like, how do we like maximize the journey of like you being kind of this underground indie author that like has a fan base that like grows that, that like you have to grow and every, nobody knows who you are. So we don't get any of that word of mouth. And, and so like, you have to like pull back. I have to like pull back and be like, well, now I, because the journey is not what I'm willing to take of like asking for permission and playing the game of publishers and like being beholden to them. I was like, okay, so now I can only be this successful. And like, so now in the most successful part of, 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 of what you do, I, I like I, I would I, I would want to be an author in the romance or thriller arena because they are the most successful independent authors are mm-hmm. one of those two. And I was like, well, I don't do either of those. I guess I do more thriller, but the, the thing I jam out to is fantasy. So like like not romance fantasy, but like mythological fantasy and these very kind of obscure fantasy areas. Uh, and so it's like, okay, so if I don't want to do one of those two things, because like I write romance okay, but not great. And I write thriller okay, but like I really, unless it has monsters and like some fantastical world, like I just can't get behind it. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, so like now you can't be the most successful author. Like you'll literally never be a seven figure year author. Just can't do it. Like you, it's impossible to do it in this particular genre that you've chosen to write. Or no, so, does it, is that because no one's done it? Or? Well, it's because just the pool. So like, the the overall pool of romance money is about a billion dollars a year. Like if there's a billion dollars running through the romance author category and slightly less, but pretty much a billion dollars running through the thriller category where there's about 400 million running through the fantasy categories. So right. it's just the, 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 the size of the category is just not big enough to warrant. Maybe you get one seven figure. There's plenty of like six figure and like well-known authors who like mm-hmm. do very well. Um, but it's not like my friends who literally can just drop a book in a, in a hot genre and like make several thousand dollars. Like it just doesn't really work like that in fantasy or science fiction or horror. Uh, you can make decent money, but it's just, it's just not that kind of money. You need an so, outlet like, I suppose... Tolkien or right yeah so like those kind of people right right like I mean they're making good money and like JK Rowling's making good money but like there's just not the the, (laughs) there's just not like the depth for like an independent author as as there are there's just not as many breakout hits there's just as many breakout genres so I just had to be like okay so like now now here is like the, the, the the top rung of what you can do and like this is what you really love doing and so can you be happy making this amount of money doing comics and novels and like running your company the way that you do mm-hmm. and um i really had to like look at myself for a long time and be like that's a lot less money it's like considerably less money than i had projected in my career mm-hmm. but i would be happier on the journey 
And similarly, I had to have another thing with a complete creative where I was like, I don't like one-on-one. I just, I, 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 and that's not because I, I love one-on-one, but because I'm a writer and the way I make my money in writing, one-on-one is just too much time for me. Like yeah. if I did one-on-ones, it would become my whole life. And then my anxiety would keep building up and like, I need to flush it out. And so kind of can't do one-on-ones. It's hard to do groups. Uh, I worry about memberships, but I like doing courses. I like doing these things where it's like, okay, you pay me $500 or whatever the amount of money is for this course. I have now packaged it together. I have a little Facebook group if you have questions, but like it doesn't take my time, effort, and energy. But like that's a lot less money. So it's also a lot less money than doing masterminds and all of these things and building this company out. So I had to have another, you know, moment with myself saying, are you willing to maybe do one or two launches for courses a year and, or just having them up on your website and then focusing on writing and knowing that like any smart human would make that would like make the courses their main thing because they're hugely profitable and like there's all digital and you sell one and you make 500, a thousand dollars. And so like any smart human would put their money there, but I just, I couldn't do it. And so like, I was like, and having that be an ancillary part of your business, like not the main thing that's driving your day-to-day sales, like not the thing you're really focused on, just kind of there. And uh, the minute that I kind of refocused those things and became okay with it, like this huge weight came off of my, mm-hmm. my and, and I was able to say like, well, you know, let's say I only make low six figures for the rest of my career or like high five figures, um, you know, we're still putting money in the bank every month. Uh, I'm still able to do the thing that I do. I still am able to have money to produce the kinds of projects that I like producing. Like I'm still able to do these things that I love. And so maybe I should just be okay with that. And, mm-hmm. and, and I can be okay with that because it, instead of my life becoming about the destination, it was about the journey. And the minute that I could make that switch, and analyze actually like what, what I would be doing, like the, the, like the constraints that I'd be working under and becoming okay with that. Uh, the journey just became more fun and the destination mattered less. Mm-hmm. I think that's an important point. I think everything gets pinned on the destination these days and to the point when, no, when, when work has to happen, the work becomes an obstacle to the destination when the work is the only vehicle to the destination so you know in every other uh area of the animal kingdom animals have to do the work to get the reward and we've got so conditioned now to the shortcut now i was talking to someone the other day it's like how do you instill a work ethic or a delayed gratification when you can look at your phone type in any meal from any type of cuisine and it turns up within 30 minutes through uber or delivery so the whole pro thought process and association that that creates um means that we get very disheartened and disillusioned with the journey so it's quite interesting to hear your take of your own your own mental journey of going from being focused on that end result to actually how do i get the fulfillment from the journey what what is it that i really want to do and and how do i because the journey never ends that's the that's the fun part right it's kind of if you if you're naive to think that the journey is ever going to end and i think you know that's where people like jim carrey have got to and said you know i thought i was going to get to this thing and it'd be great you realize actually 
getting there was the point. Yeah, I think that's why uh, a lot of older people tend to feel so centered because mm -hmm. their journey, they're like, I'm, I'm on the journey. Like I'm, or I'm at the end of the journey. And like, I wish I had appreciated the journey more. And, yeah. uh, you know, there's this thing that in, in business, like the, the most of these ads that you get fed or most of these gurus are talking about scale. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, I have grown to hate the word scale. It's not that like, I don't have scale, but when you just talk about scale, suddenly you're like, well, the thing that's going to save me is having a million people on my mailing list. And then you're putting money into a growing the wrong audience. But like there was a long time where I was putting five, 10,000 people onto my mailing list a month. And like, I had no idea who they were. Like yeah. they weren't buying my stuff when I would launch it. Like they just were like these numbers to me. And, and, it's and vanity. I have a whole Twitter account. Yeah. You end up with this huge list. It's vanity. You've got the loads of people, but they're not actually engaging. So what are you, what are you getting from it? Right. Exactly. And you know, I had, I have this Twitter account that's got like almost 30,000 people on it and it's literally useless because nobody ever engages. Cause I was just like scale, scale. What's important is having the number, having the yeah. number, having the number. And again, that, that idea that like at the end of it, the number is what's going to save me. And I've helped a lot of people build their mailing lists over the years, a lot of authors. And I always tell them the same thing. It's like, this is not the thing that saves you. Like if I, if I help you build 5,000 people, like maybe 500 of them will actually engage with you. And like 500 is not enough to build a business on. Like you need yeah. 500, like you need to get to, I, I tell people like a good number to, to aim for is like 10,000 engaged people. Yeah. It's like 10,000 engaged people tends to be like a kind of a bell curve. You kind of can like predict how much, and especially and if you're launching to them. So like you have to be like having 10,000 people that when you launch a book, like they, like 2% will buy or something like that. Like it can't be yeah. like 10,000 people. And then like you have a 1% open rate, like it's gotta yeah. be pretty good. But I, I had this idea that like, I would have like a hundred thousand people on my list and like 20,000 people would open my emails every month. And I was like, wow, that would be like just in, every week. And it's like, that would be just amazing. And what ends up happening is you get a real good 10,000 person list. Like you can get a really good effective 10,000 person list, but scaling up to a hundred thousand people on that list is really hard. Like every time I would go up to like 75,000 people, I would only get maybe five or 6,000, maybe 7,000 people opening my emails instead of like three or 4,000 people opening my emails. And I'm like, wait, I have, a, I'm now paying for a list that's like 20 times bigger, but I'm literally, and I, I did it. I yo-yoed between like 10,000 and 70,000 and 20,000 for like years. And it's, it's kept going back to the same thing. It's like, I had these 10,000 people, maybe 15,000 people that like engaged and like, I would do these big pushes and maybe I'd get a hundred more, a hundred more, a hundred more, a hundred more here, a hundred more there. And it's important to keep getting more people because, you know, you're going to get churn every year, regardless mm -hmm. of what happens. But this idea that scale is the thing that's going to save you is a thing I just, I stopped believing. And what I started believing more was it is important to always be trying to grow your list and coming up with partnerships that like are good like ideas, but the good idea part is the important piece of it. Like having the good idea, having the ability to say, this is a partnership that will work. Mm -hmm. This is a thing that I think will work. This is a product that I think will work. 
was actually just talking with, uh, I do this book called Cthulhu is Hard to Spell, and I was talking with one of the contributors yesterday. They're these big, beautiful, hardcover, like, anthology collections. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to one of the contributors, and she's like, you know, people were very impressed that I that, like, had no idea who you were, like, about the quality of the book. And I said, you know, at the end of the day, that's the only marketing that really matters. Like, all this slickness and all of this other stuff is great, but, like, the best of marketing is if someone can hold a book and go, holy shit, this is like an incredible like piece of achievement. And yeah. th that's how you get someone to buy again. And like buying one time is, uh, I mean, I guess if you're buying like a one-time $10,000 coaching package, but like for me, buying one book is like, that just keeps the lights on. Like that just keeps the marketing going. Yeah. Like the thing that I care about is you buying the next book and the next book and the next book. And the more people that I can get to buy two, three, four, five, eight books of mine, either at a time or over the course of like a several year period, the better I'm going to be like positioned in this game. It's interesting you talk about the, the, the lists and I saw, I either watched or read Tim Ferriss talk about the 1,000 true fans. And that's the, if you can get 1,000 true, highly engaged fans, then they will communicate with all of the people that are within their circle and network. And, and that's probably where you get your, you know, the 10,000 and then the engagement level is probably not that far off, right? It's you one or two, a couple of thousand. Yeah, it's not that far off, honestly. But like, I also have a problem. I, I love Kevin Kelly's uh, uh, Thousand True Fans like post. Uh, I, I have an entire course called Build a Rabbit Fan Base, which is based upon literally like how to go from like one true fan to a thousand true fans. Mm -hmm. Kind of like, I didn't realize that's what it was when I made it, but at the end of the day, really, like that's what I'm talking about. And uh, it, it's good, but the, the, the problem is people start thinking about like, oh, I just have to find a thousand people. Yeah. But like, that's also not true because like, I talk to a hundred people for every one true fan that I find. So, yeah. you know, I did this post on the complete creative about like, probably you need to find like one of a thousand people you talk to is going to become a true fan, which means like, yes, if you want a thousand true fans, like I think you can really run a business that way. Um, you, you have to keep bringing in more obviously, because some die and some fall off and like some just have no money at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, so, um, but to get a thousand true fans, you probably need to talk to, a million people yeah. uh, 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 to get those thousand true fans. Uh, but you can't do it as a shotgun approach. You have to really like be out there in the world, like engaging with people on like a, one of the things that I live my life around is like the, is the only way to scale is to do the unscalable. Mm -hmm. And the unscalable thing is to have real meaningful conversations with people. The scalable thing is to send them surveys. The, the unscalable thing is to reach out personally to them and have like a conversation or to reply to every email that they send mm -hmm. you and all of this stuff in like a timely fashion. And when they post about your things to like reply to their stuff and like all of that stuff is unscalable. Like it's still, I mean, still, I mean, I guess you could have an army of like uh, VAs doing it for you, but you know, really it's that personal engagement that like, that, that, that leads to someone to go from not knowing you to knowing you, liking you, trusting you, buying from you and becoming a true fan at the end and like buying and like and proselytizing your work and all of that stuff. The other thing that um, people, I had to learn the hard way was just because somebody is a true fan of like, let's say your comic work 
does not mean that they're just going to buy your novels because yeah. they love your novels. And they're not just going to listen to your podcast because you're that human. Some of them will just literally like follow you everywhere. But there are people that will. So I'll give you an example like that. The Cthulhu book back there. The, uh, we just did a Kickstarter for it earlier this year. And it raised uh, $31,000 from 775 people, 757 people. Uh, I just then ran a novel Kickstarter for four of my novel books and it did $9,000 from 200 and about 80 people. Hmm. So like there's, and there are people on that Cthulhu list that like just will buy my Cthulhu and my Ichabod books, but they won't touch my novels. And like they are as diehard fans of my work as like there can be of any person's work. And they're just like, I don't care about novels, man. Uh, just not, and there are people that, that go the other way too. That are, bias, right? Yeah, exactly. So the, and there are people that go the other way too. And like, I really love your novels. Like, I'm not a comics book person. Uh, so you have to also just understand that as you go through this life, and as you have a thousand true fans, it doesn't mean the thousand true fans are going to buy literally everything that you ever do. It doesn't mean they're going to go do your coaching services and that they're going to like be part of your masterminds and they're going to do all that. Some of them will, um, but uh, and, and also it means that like not every project is going to be as successful or more successful than the other one. And if I've learned nothing else in the past year, it's that you can't judge the success of the product on like the launch of that product. Uh, having, a, having only 300 people buy something or 20 people buy something, as long as the product is good, you can relaunch it. And like, like I said, I did that one launch of the other books on Amazon. I brought them to Kickstarter and it totally revitalized this whole series. And like, it went from one of my biggest losses to one of my best selling series uh, at the end of it. And that only came because I, I stepped back and I said, no, like the books are good. It's just, I launched them badly. But even when I launched them well, they only did about $10,000 which is great, but it is not $30,000. Like literally at the beginning of this year, we did $9,000. And then a month later, we did $30,000. And I was the same person launching to pretty much the same mm -hmm. list with the same tactics. And it just one product was not as popular, still successful, but not as popular as this other product. And can you, do you know what the difference between the two why, what made one more popular than the other? I mean, one's Lovecraft, and Lovecraft is hugely popular in comics. One right. is a comic, and comics people are generally willing to pay more. One was hardcover and not softcover. Mm -hmm. One had 70 creators, and one had uh, only one creator uh, attached to it. But, you know, my main audience is comics book, comic book people. So mm -hmm. I've always had more success in comics than I've had with novels. And so it's just it's just a function of doing the work uh, that you kind of have you, when you launch several things, you just, you kind of get a sense of like what your audience wants, especially if you're asking them, like I went back when I was launching my first novels and be like, why didn't you buy this? And they're like, and they would tell me, they're like, look, I love your work. Uh, you, you make comics about monsters. I'm there, but like, I don't care about this thing. And they would tell me that over and over and over again and, until I finally got it in my head and was like, okay, like I have to do a lot of work if I want to. It's almost like starting a new line of business mm. from scratch is like the novels because the novels have some carryover, but not as much as I thought. And, uh, and yeah, so 
it was several things. Uh, you know, I've, I've launched a lot of courses in my life also. And sometimes you get a course that just like build a rabbit fan base, just goes nuts. You know, then you do a course about writing Facebook ads. And like uh, the way that I build the rabbit fan base for people is to run Facebook ads. Like they should be pretty like, and I, I think I've sold three copies of that course comparatively to build the rabbit fan base that I've sold like th- tens of thousands of dollars of. So, um, it probably, it probably has you, something to do with competition as well, doesn't it? Cause there's so many other people selling courses on how to run Facebook ads. So you've you got to get through that noise. So it's probably a more competitive market for that particular course as well. So yeah, absolutely. Not- and that's the thing about, that's another point about, about novels. Like they're just much more competitive than comics are. Yeah. It's a lot harder to stand out in, in novels than there are. There's so many fewer, there's so much fewer classic comics than there are classic novels. So not only do you have to get past classic, the classics and the hot sellers now and the hot indie sellers now and the hot indie sellers from years ago, but you've, and, and like, it's just so hard to like find that place to break through in novels. But the, the difference is that while it cost me like almost $30,000 to do the, the, the Cthulhu Kickstarter and like I pretty much broke even, mm-hmm. um, I actually kind of also just broke even uh, plus a little bit extra on the novel Kickstarter for $9,000. So novels, I could, I could make four novels and raise a third of the comics and still like make my nut that I need to like break even, which is my goal whenever I'm launching a book, like any pre-order, good, good pre-order campaign, your real goal should be to uh, like break even so that you can then spend that money on marketing and like, and like move it back into uh, uh, other places of need. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, if you, if you, if you lose on that pre-launch, then you, you're in a hole that it's going to be difficult to climb out of, I guess. Absolutely. So, question for you is when did you start to monetize and a create a creative skill because there's probably loads of people that out there that have some kind of creative outlet whether it be writing or art or whatever it is um and i started doing i started monetize that yeah I mean, so I went to school for broadcast journalism and I have a degree in broadcast journalism and sociology. And immediately out of school, I got hired to work on Capitol Hill, uh, which is uh, the Capitol in Washington, D.C. And like I was interviewing senators and congressmen uh, and and uh, I went to like the president's house to like do an Easter egg roll. So like I was I was I was kind of like monetizing it forever. Um, and then I and then I went out on my own and I started doing photography and and cinematography for myself and then directing stuff. And I directed a movie called connections, which turned into a web series that you can watch on, on, on YouTube. Um, and, uh, and, and so like that was something that I just always did. I had always been around sort of camera operators and directors and writers who were trying to monetize it. Um, the first time I did it successfully though, uh, was really that first launch on Kickstarter for Ichabod Jones Monster Hunter, where I'd made like five grand in a month. And I was like, I don't think I've ever made $5,000 in a month. Mm-hmm. And so um, what's hard at the beginning is you sort of don't know what is going to hit. And you don't know what's going to hit big. And it wasn't really until the next year with my launch of Katrina Hates the Dead that I was like, oh, like this is like a perpetual best-selling book. Like, like it just sold on my table 
without me doing much. Mm-hmm. Ichabod for years took a lot of effort for me to sell. Katrina was easy. And then when Cthulhu was hard to spell came on my table, it was like so easy that like I literally pretty much, I just had to be like, hey, Cthulhu. And they're like, I like Cthulhu. You should buy this. And like they just did. Like it was so... Um, but you have to ping the water so much at the beginning of your career to be like, okay, like I like knitting. Like, uh, am I going to be knitting Cthulhu dolls? Am I going to be knitting like Afghans for old moms? Am I going to be knitting rugs? Like, uh, what is the thing that I'm that that is actually going to hit? And a lot of times, like, you have some choice in the matter, but part of that beginning of your career is all like, how? Where am I now? And where is the market now? And how can I bring the market to me without losing that creative spark to like, to, to keep making the thing? So, you know, you might make uh, like demon plushes and then put the, the markets at like Cthulhu dolls. And like, you're like, okay, how do I like, how do I bring the market kind of to me and move to the market? And, or how do I like just move right to the market? Like if the market's here, I could just be the kind of person that like, well, I know how to knit. And like, they make uh, like, like Cthulhu's popular right now. So I'm just going to make these things. And, and if you can do that even better, but most people that are creatives are doing it uh, to like fulfill a creative spark and not just to make money. Cause I'm telling you, anything that you do is going to be more profitable than like doing the creative thing. Like it just, creativity is not something that is easily monetized because like you don't need, I mean, I, you do need creativity to live and like art to live. But like, if you're sitting there like drowning in debt and like, uh, and like uh, with no 401k, a hundred pounds overweight, like I could sell you a thing, be like, hey, stop being a hundred pounds overweight. Like here's this pill, here's this book, here's this course, here's this training regimen. Here's this, like there's all sorts of things. Oh, you don't have a 401k. Let's get you in out of debt. And like, there's all sorts of things that like can take you from, uh, oh, I'm really desperate to like success. Right. But art is not like that. Like if someone's drowning in debt, like, and you're like, read this book, it's just like kind of fun. Like people don't have that connection, even though it's probably the the sitting in front of the couch and like watching Avatar The Last Airbender for the 20th time <laughs> that keeps you from like Netflix. jumping off a bridge. <laughs> um, uh, but we don't, there's not that connection. So it's going to be a lot harder for you because most people don't need the thing that you're selling, even though they do need the, like it's a, the, in order to, if we've seen nothing during this pandemic, it's that like people fall back on art when times are hard. Uh, so you do need to like have art, but it does not feel like you need art when you like uh, are trying to get your kids off of welfare. True. Um, so, how, so how do you how did you go about initially getting your your name out there, right? So that people know you exist in the first place. Yeah. So what I did was I I work in comics, and so I I follow a lot of people who work in comics back in the day, and they were like do kickstarters and do conventions. So I went to conventions uh, and I went to hundreds of conventions, both as an attendee and as an exhibitor. And I would just sit behind my table and like get people to sign up for my mailing list and get like people to buy my books. Send, I must have given away hundreds of thousands of free books at this point, just like get anyone to even try the thing that I'm talking about. And like, hopefully out of the hundreds of thousands, like a thousand people would like, 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 like jam out to the thing. Mm-hmm. 
but yeah, it became, uh, it, 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 I, I took the best practices of my industry and then I innovated on that. And I think that that's something that any industry can, can, can do. Like if your industry is, well, how we make money is doing webinars and Facebook ads or mini products or what do they call them now? Micro, micro offers or uh, they used to call them tripwire offers, but like micro offers or whatever the thing is, like these are the, the steps that we take. Uh, I think that those things are kind of laid out pretty well, you know, like if you want to do coaching, you do a, you know, you, you, you do a, you do a discovery call and you book people into a coaching package. And then like from that coaching package, you book them into like high end courses or masterminds or all of that stuff. Like that's sort of like the, so you run a Facebook ad to a discovery call to like, uh, and if you have a product, you know, if you have a course or something, you do like a tripwire offer to like, a, or a micro offer to like a bump offer to like a course to like your main course is what you're going to offer later or your, like whatever the thing is, there's so much, so much like there that you can just mine and like go and spend a couple of hundred dollars. Just like every time you see a good ad, just go in and buy that thing and take and be like, oh. Like that micro course is just like basically BS for an hour. Like I could do better than that. And that's really, I think, what, um, where the innovation comes in. You have to see where the market is and then be like, okay, this is a really depressing, like this guy is successful and like it's very depressing how he's doing this work. Like, like his micro offer is like not very good. His overall course is not very good. Like the offers that he does like are listless. His Facebook group is listless. Like, it, like, like his, his ads are just okay. Uh, like what if I took this now, this idea and innovate in it and just make it the absolute best in class. Just like, instead of offering like a cheap $27 offer, make like a blow away offer at like $27 and like then make a blow away webinar or like whatever each step. Uh, most of my career has been like, okay, so these books like are hardcover because soft cover was where the market was. And they are printed on, on uh, art quality paper because the market was like in this cheap paper. Yeah. So I said, what if I took this and just made it the best in class book that you could possibly make? And then I will sell it for more money. And, if, and then I can discount it if I need to, to the price that people are paying for other books that are way worse quality than mine. And then I said, what if instead of sitting behind this table, I just stood up and like talked to everybody and then used the principles that I know about optional closing and like objection handling that I learned in sales to like, just do it better. And like, what if I just provided a better customer experience? And, and I took all of, I, I use all of the same principles that like are, are that I learned in entrepreneurship and in like creative entrepreneurship. So a lot of like the mailing list and the autoresponders are things that just like publishers don't do, like sending mailing lists like every, every week and all of these things that like entrepreneurs do. Mm -hmm. I brought that into the new industry. And that's the second part of it is, is if you're in a lot of different industries, you, you, the innovation comes from like, wow, what if I just took this product and made it the absolute best? But also if I was like, hey, you know, they're doing real, this really interesting thing over here with like the autoresponder sequences and like uh, having like weekly uh, Q and A's or whatever the thing is like, what if I then took all of this like best in class stuff and then added 
this other entrepreneurial stuff, which I know works over there and see if it works here. And between those two things, like I, I, that's kind of how I run my, my whole business. My whole business rests on like, wow, this really sucks. Like, what if I just did this thing, but like, well, Mm -hmm. and uh, every time I've done that, people have always, 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 uh, uh, consistently talked about the, 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 the quality of mine compared to other people's. And that's when the word of mouth comes. That's, and I think that's important Like people like, um, uh, Branson, for example, built his entire, the entire Virgin empire on, I can do this better than what was already being done. He's not invented the airplane or the airline or, uh, any of the other businesses that sit under the Virgin umbrella. It's just been, how do I make this better? How do I change the experience? How do I make it a more human type thing? And it's similar to what you're, you're talking about there. And I think we get too caught up in where's the big idea. There's loads of, there's loads of ideas out there. They're just not being done very well. So yeah, the big idea is really like most businesses treat their customers and employees like trash. So the real big idea in most industries is just like, like, what if I paid people what they were worth and like treated them well and like treated the people who buy our stuff as more than a $20 bill. And you can tell with like somewhere like American Airlines or, or, uh, or, uh, or United or any of the ones over here on this side of the pond, it's like, oh, like they clearly are just like, hey, you got to take our airline. Like you've got to take an airline. So like we're, we're just going to do whatever and understand that you have to do this thing. And, and the innovation really can come from just living in the world. It's why you have to like live in whatever the community is. Because like if you live in the community that like you're trying to serve, you then are like, wow, look at all these crappy offers for like authors. Like, wh- like, like what, what, all this stuff like doesn't help. Like it doesn't help. Like what if I just like did something actually helpful and I just took literally this template and just did it, but well, cause I know this template works. Um, and I just took it and I like made an experience that was unforgettable. And frankly, it's not about working longer. It's not like, oh, what if I gave two hour sessions instead of one hour session? It's like, what if I took that one hour I was with you as a guest on your show and like just blew you away instead of like, like holding back my best stuff for like, like behind a paywall or for some like course that I have on my site that I'm going to tell you about as we like wrap up or whatever thing. It's like, what if I just took the podcast experience and like, just gave it literally everything that I had in the tank and just like didn't leave anything out there. And, um, you know, one of my favorite quotes from movies is Gattaca. Remember Gattaca uh, with, uh, with, uh, Matt Dillon, Matt Dillon, no, Ethan Hawke. And he's, uh, he's this sort of like the world is, is like all run by these like genetically engineered people. Like this is a time like in, in the womb, you can kind of like inject, like your you can kind of create your own super baby. Mm-hmm. And like, it's about this guy who like is not a super baby, but he somehow like has been able to fool people for years and, and, and decades. And at one time him and his brother, who is a super baby are doing this, like this are like uh, doing the swimming thing at night as they're trying to like, like finally like have their like battle it out and they're running and they're swimming and they're swimming and they're swimming. And, and, and the brother finally like stops, like, stop, stop. I can't, it's like, how are you doing this? 
And he says, I never, uh, and he says, that's the problem. That's the difference between me and you. Like I never left anything for the swim back. Mm-hmm. And I, I've always like tried to understand that doesn't mean like he has to swim longer or harder. It means he has to swim harder during the time he's swimming, but it doesn't have to swim for 50 hours instead of 20 hours. And so much business is about like, I'm going to give you 50 hours of coaching and like all this stuff, but it's still like mediocre BS when like, yeah. really like, what if I just gave you five hours of coaching and like, it just changed your life. And then you could go and tell other people or like, like business is so much right now about like, how do I keep them like coming back to me? And, and, and my, the only thing I've innovated is like, what if I just gave people like the thing they need and then like, they could just go do it. Mm -hmm. And yes, that makes life harder for me, but it also just like makes business easier to do. Yeah. Because you get fed up of the continuous, Oh, you just need this now and you just need this now and you just need this now and it wears thin out you you know the the people trail you trail off after a period of time anyway because right and like offering these products that have like 50 features when you only need one i talk about like final draft which is like sort of this it's a it's a word processor for 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 screenwriters and like it's literally just word Except instead of having what you used to have to do was create all these macros in Word to like make your screenplay look like a screenplay. Mm-hmm. And all Final Draft did was like, what if I just like, like did all the macros for you and it just kind of worked like a screenplay? And people were like, yes, I will pay so much money for that one thing. And instead of being like, and we're going to add like dancing ponies and this <laughs> other thing, they were just like, it just kept being like, we're going to, we're going to incrementally innovate this thing but like basically it's just like a screenwriting software instead of like and that's a word processor and it like just destroyed the competition that and movie magic because not because they had a thousand features but because they they knew the one feature that would be the killer feature that everybody complained about and they just focused exclusively on that thing remove the pain and that's that's the thing isn't it understand understand who you're customer is who your client is uh, understand the problem and then solve the problem and and you know you talk about it's not all about more time you're absolutely right i think the problem is these days we get caught up in everything is related to time you get paid for your time and, and all the rest of it and so you end up filling time thinking that oh, extra value comes from more time but it's outcome is what we need to be focusing on Absolutely. You know, like focusing on outcome and then being like, I'll pay you, uh, you pay me $10,000 and like however long it takes for me to like stop your stutter or like do this thing. Like it could take me three days. Like I think it's going to take me three days. You think it'll take me three years. So like somewhere in the middle there, we're going to, and my job then is to get that stutter gone in five sessions. Yeah. And you also wanted done in five sessions because like you don't want to <laughs> keep having monthly sessions with me. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that focusing on outcomes and focusing on like, how can I blow people away? Like, this is just a book. It's just a book. Like, it's a, the same. It's the same pages. It's the same everything inside. So it's not like I'm giving more than a book. I'm giving you the same book that everyone else gives. But like with the, in those constraints, I have 20 percent to blow you away. And yeah. And it, and it works because it's a tactile thing, right? Absolutely. Um, so, shit, shit books feel shit. <laughs> it's like, yeah. And, and, and I think when you're in the self-published 
area, it's um it's very easy to go down the cheaper route. Like I see, I get I I get through loads of books generally. Uh, non-fiction stuff but you can tell the difference right you get this very cheap white paper and uh the cover's not so great and it's just the finish isn't there right? whereas if you invest the if you if you go the other direction then you go for more of the premium you that's a, that's a different market and i think people appreciate that when they get the product absolutely we are um running close to our time but i do have a few questions i wanted to uh get to first and i've just started doing this with everybody in the last few weeks or so um so good to get your take and then um we'll quickly uh let everyone i have four minutes on. before i have to get on four my minutes and we'll go real fast then you're an early bird i know this so do you have a morning routine if so what does it look like i spend three hours in the morning from six to nine doing all the busy work and doing anything that i want to and then at nine o'clock i start working i let my mind be free for those first few hours of the day though nice uh, three books you'd recommend and why? Uh, all right. So uh, Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes. Um, and uh, I really have loved the N.K. Jemisin series that won her the Hugo, which starts with the fifth season and then the Obelisk, Desk, uh, the Obelisk Gate and the Stone Keep. And uh, oh, a third one. All right. So my favorite comic book of all time is a book called Serenity Rose. Uh, by Aaron Alexovich. And so those would be my three. Nice. Uh, three people you either follow or listen to and you'd recommend uh, me or anyone else check out. Um, Malcolm Gladwell's Revisionist History. Um, uh, uh, Akimbo by uh, uh, the, the, webs the uh, podcast by Seth Godin, uh, which I still think he's my like number one guru of all time. Uh, he's stuff's very simple, but like also timeless. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, the Tim Ferriss show about 25% of the time. Yeah. <laughs> Depends who's on, right? Uh, yes. He uh, talks a lot about psilocybin. Yes. <laughs> three, um, three good habits or disciplines that you've adopted, uh, in your life that have made a big difference. Uh, learning to... Uh, learning uh, to uh, separate your self-worth from yourself by saying things like, I am a person who succeeds. I am a person who fails instead of a failure or success um, has been a huge thing for me. Very good. Um, I like to get out and take a walk about like once a day for an hour. I listen to a podcast or I just think deeply, but being out and not having any intention besides just like doing a walk or doing mm -hmm. exercise or something uh, has been really helpful. And then, uh, you know, reaching out to one person a day who you know or, uh, or want to know better uh, and, and just checking in on them and trying to have a conversation, all three of those have been incredibly helpful for me. Nice. Uh, three tool system apps, whatever you want to call them, um, that you use all the time and couldn't live without. Uh, so I, my mailing list server, I recently moved from uh, Mail Blast and Send in Blue to Flowdesk. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I have a I have a link that I can offer like nineteen dollars a month for unlimited contacts and emails, which is like the best deal I've ever seen. Uh, and uh, other ones. Uh, I use Photoshop quite a lot. Uh, Photoshop to do graphics and uh, Pexels and Pixabay for all of my graphic stuff on my website, which has like, uh, and then uh, Microsoft Word. I mean, I'm very simple. I don't use a lot of stuff on my web, on my uh, computer. I use uh, Photoshop, Adobe Premiere, Microsoft Word, Audacity, and Zoom, basically. Nice. Last question. 
If you could spend one hour with anybody, dead or alive, who would it be? My dad, I guess. He died a couple of years ago. Nice. I'd like him to be able to know that, like, I'm still doing okay. Yeah, that's nice. I like that. Really good. Uh, So I know you got to go. You got one minute. Uh, Where can people find you, Russell? All right. So uh, RussellNolte.com, if you like magic, mythology, monsters, either comics or books. If you are a creative yourself or want to see sort of my musings on building a creative career, then www.thecompletecreative.com. Probably the most, uh, the, the, the most relevant link. Uh, we talked about audience building uh, a lot today. So is I have a free webinar, 20-minute webinar on how to build an audience from scratch. And that is at thecompletecreative.com forward slash audience. Awesome. Russell, thank you very, very much for your time. And um, let's do it again sometime. Absolutely. Cool, man. Have a good day. Good to see you, mate. Cheers. Bye.